This is SQPN, the StarQuest Production Network, leading the way. This episode is brought to you by the Amazon Store. Click on the link on our website before you shop at Amazon and your purchase will help support our show. This episode is also made possible by the friends of SQPN. Join us in our mission to reach out to the ends of the world with engaging and inspiring programs by supporting us with a monthly donation. Go to sqpn.com for more information. Ladies and gentlemen. What's there, Mama? 10,000 years will give you such a crick in the neck. How do you do? How do you do what? Show me the smile. If you can't say something nice, don't say nothing at all. Very nice. You can sit by me. Everything's so wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> Kiss me. Excuse me? Please, princess. One kiss. Unless you beg for more. Welcome back to The Secrets of Disney. We continue our analysis of the movie Enchanted. Once upon a time, in a magical kingdom known as Andalasia. Let's close the book on that old story. These animated characters find a twist in their story. Life in the real world is no fairy tale. <laughs> Meet Prince Edward. Have you any last words? You have got to be kidding me. Strange words. He might seem like your standard storybook prince. What's not the like? But when he gets a dose of reality... What is this place? It's time to turn the page. This brave knight picks the wrong fight. You've met your match, foul beast! <laughs> Nobody stabs my bus. Don't you run away from me, tightwear. Our daring dude hasn't a clue. And he's going from dashing prince... Giselle! ...to crashing prince... Let's talk a little bit about the, the, the production and how this, uh, this movie was made. Because I think that this movie is actually underestimated. It is such an amazing production on many, many levels. Uh, first of all, this was the first time uh, that for, since forever that Disney went back to traditional animation for because i think that that uh, just a couple of years before that they decided that they would do only do 3d cg animation right they just gave right. up on cell animation and now they're yeah um let me think the last movie to use paint and ink in the 90s I'm, oh i know this i know this i know this my disney trivia is failing me right now <laughs> um i want to say it was either um the little mermaid or or Beauty and the Beast, one of those early 90s movies. They mm-hmm. said, ah, enough of this. Let's do this all computer a- animated. Beauty and the Beast was after uh, Little Mermaid, I think. Yeah, um, that hmm. and I'm, I'm trying to think of um, um, Mulan was made here in Florida. And so it was... Um, Mulan and Pocahontas? Po- um, Pocahontas was, I believe it was also hand-drawn. But I know they stopped doing that. Um, but then they started back up again with The Princess and the Frog. Yes, well, that's the f- the first full length uh, animated mm-hmm. movie that they that they did. But uh, right. in, in, in Enchanted, they actually this is the first time that they kind of reverted and was like, well, hmm, well, perhaps we might want to do some animated uh, uh, stuff. And of course, the animation in this movie is only thirteen minutes. But right. if you look at the production, it took them a year to just do these thirteen minutes. So that's that's quite incredible. Whereas the 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 live action took what was it around seventy days to uh, to shoot to shoot mm-hmm. just a, a yeah like three months or so. Um, 
But of course, this movie had huge post-production because there was also a lot of uh, uh, CGI, um, and by that I mean a digital animation, especially in that very famous uh, cleaning song that that is a reference, of course, to the Snow White scene. But the, the, a lot of the animal movement that you see in there actually I thought at first when I watched it on Blu-ray I was like everything here is computer generated because I saw a scene somewhere where uh, Amy Adams is actually uh, talking to an empty room and she in an interview she said how difficult it was to um, just imagine something that you don't see I mean it's 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 uh, she liked actually because it, it she liked to do that because it, it, it really pushes her in terms of uh, you know her acting uh, capabilities but then later on I discovered that well yes in that scene a, a lot of the, the animal animation is uh, is done digitally but there are actually also a lot of real animals in there and so uh, a, a lot of the rats and a lot of the pigeons that are in those scenes are really there they really fly uh, they really walk there There's this, do you remember the scene where you see you kind of the camera moves into the bathroom and you see three rats, and they uh, carry toothbrushes. In in and and then you see at the same time uh, a number of pigeons also flying in that same scene. I thought that was all digital. It turns out the only thing that was digital in there were the toothbrushes. But the rats are really there, and it's like all in sequence. Unbelievable. So uh, that was. Just brilliant stuff. And I think then the rats are using their tails as like windshield wipers. Yeah, but that that is th- that those rats digital. are digital. Yes, and then you've yeah, got that, the washing the dishes scenes. But the scenes. rats themselves say, were real, but the tails. Were <laughs> well, no, I think that the whole the entire uh, the old the, the rat plus the tail were <laughs> that was all digital. Uh, but they 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 show some behind the scenes footage on the Blu-ray uh, uh, disc where you see the actors just you know walking around, and I think the little girl even you know at one point they have to stop a scene because apparently one of the pigeons left something on the floor and she stepped right into it. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, but anyway, j- just the coordination, uh, the choreogra- choreography of that scene is unbelievable. Um, well, we we already talked about the wardrobe and the dress. Well, there's this one scene where the the birds kind of spin this dress around. Well, that whole thing was not digital. It was a real dress, and she, uh, Amy Adams, is standing there for for ten hours during that day in the middle of this whole you know metal construction that can spin and everything, and she could just couldn't get out of it anymore. So imagine the ah, what a what a that must be really hard to 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 do those scenes over and over and over again not being able to leave that harness. And then, uh, of course, the, the, the most of the um, CGI animation is towards the end with the dragon scene. Um, but even there, you know, when the witch transforms into this dragon, um, there's this explosion, right, when she puts her, what is it, her staff on the ground or something like that. There's this huge magical explosion. All that was practical effects. And all these, all these extras and characters had to react... At once, and I think that they could only do like one or two takes because of the the incredible amount of work that it took to reset the the room because everything is destroyed. And so, if you have to refilm that because some of the extras are picking their nose, you know, <laughs> it well, it costs a fortune. So, just that's all the stuff that I love watching on the behind the scenes footage because you start to realize, well, wait a minute, this is we take this for granted, but it's actually 
this is really easy to imagine, but to do it in a real live action movie, unbelievable. And, and, and another scene that I thought was fantastic, absolutely fantastic, my all-time favorite Disney scene, is the uh, um, How Do You Know musical number. <laughs> Filmed oh, yeah. in New York, in Central Park, in the middle of the city. Yep. Unbelievable. And they trained for months and months and months on the choreography and then just everything that you see. There's no digital animation in there. There's no trickery. It's all done live. And so all these dancers are really there. And But the, the effect, and I don't know how your experience was, but I, I just forgot that I was watching live action because this looked just like all these other, you know, huge dancing sequences in the animated movies. Like, right. I think almost every Disney movie has one of these scenes, right? Where Right. It's like a show-stopping, like, <sighs> and that, and to be honest, if I had to pick my favorite scene, it is that scene. Yeah. Like, I think yeah. that, like, yeah, it, it has to be that scene. Uh, it, like, in The Little Mermaid, my favorite scene is when they do Under the Sea, mm-hmm. or um, Kiss the Girl, actually, it's Kiss the yeah. Girl, but it's that whole show-stopping production where they bring in like 20 million different characters singing back up and dancing and and even there they're they're inserting disney references into everything oh yeah uh, i mean they have a woman with with candles on her head uh to oh uh, uh, beauty know, and the beast beauty and the beast yes uh-huh. and um uh there are there are um we call it lion king uh from the Broadway version of uh, Lion King, there are people oh. in Lion King costumes. And, right. Uh, they, they. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Mike. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, I was going to say they actually did kind of steal, I guess, a couple of the characters from their Broadway productions to insert into different scenes in this movie, including the chimney suites from Mary Mary Poppins. Yes. Played the old man. Um, the other ones are, if you look at the very finale, you will see... Lion King characters, you'll see Beauty and the Beast characters, you'll see all these um, um, also street performers, but there's also other things they um, they um, have that reference other Disney movies. Like um, they they did a little um, th- at one point there, um, Giselle and Robert are laying in a picnic mm-hmm. on and uh, a lady with all these um, stuff and dressed in. Um, I want to say like an an Arab kind of belly dancer clothes comes up to them. To me, that was like, oh, that's from um, Aladdin. I don't know if that was intentional, but I'm like, that looks like that's from the scene in Aladdin where they do Prince Ali. Awesome. So, yeah. It's it's just, it's a fantastic song as well. It's it's just, the whole thing is unbelievable. And you're like, I cannot believe that they really filmed that in Central Park. Turns out that they had quite a, uh, it was a huge challenge, not just because of the choreography, but also because because of the weather. I think that took them 17 days to film those five minutes because it was raining all the time and they only had like seven sunny days. And and they also had an issue with crowd control because um, Patrick Dempsey, who Mm -hmm. is also known as uh, Dr. McDreamy because of his uh, Grey's Anatomy uh, work, and he had hordes of fans um, following him around in Central Park and screaming and being fans. And they had had an issue with that, so it took them longer to film with him because of crowd control. 
Well, that's probably also why a lot of the other scenes are filmed. Well, you think that you're in New York, but it's actually on a soundstage, <laughs> and uh, and it's kind of the whole apartment, for instance, is recreated. And when you see the the world outside the balcony, that is all like a painting on a <laughs> but. I think they do a great, great job making it very believable that the whole thing actually takes place in New York, even though some of that is smoke and mirrors. Let's move on to the music. We already talked about it a little bit. Bringing uh, back Alan Menken, I think the best Disney composer. Uh, he worked on a lot of Disney uh, movies, and um, he he uh, asked... Um, uh, fellow composer Stephen Schwartz to join him and to provide the lyrics for the songs. And uh, they worked together on uh, movies like Pocahontas and Hunchback of Notre Dame. And uh, yeah, Mankin is, uh, has this talent of just, you know, he, lis- he re-listened to a lot of the Disney music. And then he was like, so how can I use all those musical cues from past movies and turn that into new songs that mm-hmm. evoke the 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 whole genre because I think that Disney really created a, a musical genre in a way and this is something that always strikes me when I visit uh, uh, Disneyland or Disney World like a couple of weeks ago uh, I, I was in, in in Florida visiting Disney World and you constantly hear music coming from the the speakers and it's always this you you hear like two seconds and you're like this is Disney music <laughs> and it's just this typical genre. Um, that you instantly recognize, and I think that that Alan Menken uh, just embodies that. He is just so talented that he just immediately grabs that. And I thought I also thought the lyrics were very very clever, and I'm I'm pretty sure that in the lyrics you will find lots of references to lyrics from previous movies as well. Actually, you do. Um, I believe that some of the lyrics are the same from. Oh, I want to say. Um, Snow White, they use some of the same lyrics um, with True Love's Kiss. Hmm. Like. Uh, yeah, and, and some of the references, too. Um, also, I, I want to say that a little personal story. I had actually um, had a chance 15 years ago to meet Alan Menken in Disney. Like, I was working at the time. and How um, cool. And, and somebody said, this is Alan Menken, and I'm like, <laughs> and uh you know and he seemed blessed and thrilled to meet me but you know it yeah but also i have to point out something we forgot to mention in the cameo roles that really brought up when i was thinking um beauty and the beast mm-hmm. and who i've met um in the scene with in the soap opera we we mentioned Paige o'hara right mm-hmm. we forgot to mention Robbie Benson, who is the voice of Beauty and the Beast, is also in that scene. Oh, really? <laughs> yes, he is. And I have a, I have a Robbie Benson story because um, I used to do, uh, oh, 10 years ago, um, cast choir for, um, for Epcot. They do this Christmas production every uh-huh. year where they bring in, you know, people who are um, voice narrators, um, famous people. You, you probably remember their names. You know, sometimes uh-huh. like Whoopi Goldberg was here this week. Yeah. Um, but... Ten years ago, Robbie Benson, who is the voice of Beauty and of uh, the Beast from Beauty and the Beast, was mm-hmm. on stage, and I was behind him in the choir. And um, there's a 400 piece choir behind him of like high school kids and then cast members, and and it's extraordinarily hot up there. <laughs> and one of the girls, one of the teenage girls that was on the stage with us fainted dead away just like you hear this big thunk as she hits the ground (laughs) and um robbie benson 
springs from his podium, picks her up like in a, like in movies fashion, and carries her off stage. <laughs> <laughs> we were just like, "What in the world? Why, <laughs> so, didn't, yeah. why didn't I just faint?" <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. But it, you know, you would never expect you know a re- you know somebody who plays. A, a hero to actually act like one in real life. <laughs> what do you so know? Awesome. That's that's my Robbie Benson story. Anyway, um, back to talking about how, that's how you know, you know that's yeah. how she knows. I think yeah. I think the uh, weren't there a couple of songs that were even nominated for an Oscar? Yes, actually, that year, and they had um, out of the five songs they normally nominate for ask for Oscar, three of them were from Enchanted. Um, one of them was the Happy Working Song. Yeah. So close, which is the end song from Enchanted, where they're where they're dancing um, Beauty and the Beast like at the ball, mm-hmm. and then also, of course, the show stopping. That's how. That's you know, how you know. How you know. Yeah. yeah, which is very reminiscent of Under the Sea, actually. And didn't Under the Sea yeah. win an Oscar? Yes, it did. There you go. But, it even but starts unfortunately, with we didn't win an drums. Oscar for this. They they did yeah. not win. Oh. Um, once was the falling slowly from once was the winner that year, so they did not win. <laughs> I don't even remember that song. I don't either. I'm like, what song is Stupid. that? Stupid. Oh, well. <laughs> oh, well. Uh, now, th- this is my favorite soundtrack, actually. I play this the, the songs over and over again. It's just so, I don't know. It just, every time I listen to this music and it cheers me up. <laughs> um, the um, success of the movie was uh, was pretty big. Uh, it wasn't the, the super blockbuster um, that it could have, might have been, I don't know. Uh, but it earned in total, I think, about 127 or almost 128 million in the United States and Canada. And uh, worldwide, it made 340 and a half million um, all over the world. So that's that's pretty good. Actually, it's so good that they are considering, and, and this is still, I think, a bit of a rumor. I didn't find much detail about this, but apparently they're working on a sequel. But I don't know if that's still it's, on it's or not. It's slated, apparently, from the stuff I read like a, a year ago, um, it's slated to come out next year. So I will say if that actually is happening or I if that's in production. I really hope so. And I hope it's not going to be a director-DVD uh, thing that they seem to do a lot these days, but I hope that they will put the same quality... Uh, and and you know the same actors, but also story wise and and music in terms of music. I hope that they do a, a great job because you know <clears throat> this could be a really a good way to introduce a younger audience to you know the the, the whole the, the whole fran- Disney franchise. It 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 made me want to rewatch a lot of the older movies. It's like oh wow I. Ah, yeah, that's true. I want to rewatch that movie and see if I catch all the <laughs> the references. And um, yeah, it, it it even motivated me to to buy a couple of these uh, discs and uh, and and add to my collection. So I don't know. It could be a really good gateway to all the other stuff that Disney does. Even though I think originally they they planned on creating a franchise around Giselle as a new Disney princess, and then ultimately they decided not to. And I think the reason that I found on the web was that um, they realized, or the legal department realized, that, yeah, that might be a good idea to turn Giselle into another Disney princess, but then we need to pay uh, um, Amy, Amy Adams the, for the rights to her face. <laughs> yeah, because she's not... And so I think that in a lot of the merchandise that you see, they actually use the cartoon version of Amy Adams. 
Because that's mm-hmm. she has no right to that. That's not her likeness. But if you use the actress, then then you get into a whole different legal uh, area, where um, yeah, that could become potentially very expensive. <laughs> yeah. Wow. I'm not sure. I'm thinking, what would the second movie be about? Because this first movie was perfect. It was a perfect satirization of uh, of you know the early Disney movies and all. I mean. Well, that was like the perfect story. Hey, how how I were they? I can't imagine what they would do. For well, well, th- look at Shrek. They were able to do like four sequels to that. Yeah, and but, I, but each one got was worse than the one before. Oh, well, yeah, but it's still they still <laughs> so made a, they still Shrek made a lot never, of money. <laughs> Shrek never incorporated live actors either, and that you know that age and and grow. Yeah, that's, you that's know, Shrek, true. you can keep them the same age and go back in time and go forward in time, and nobody mm-hmm. changes. Whereas here, I'm thinking maybe they did something with Morgan because by the time they film the new movie, Morgan will be in her teens. So yeah, could be. Um, could be. Oh well, yeah. but they're they're smart, and they did that with so many other movies. <laughs> I mean, uh, they can do it with Back to the Future and Terminator. I'm pretty sure that they can do it with uh, with Enchanted. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, yeah, it might be interesting to uh, in in a year from now when that movie comes out, if it comes out, to look back at our current discussion and see uh, if we if already we right. yeah, yeah if we were right or not. Um, yeah. I think that's enough about the production and the story, etc. Let's uh, dive into the, the 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 meat of the matter, the core of our show, and that is the symbolism, the themes that are in uh, integrated in Enchanted. And of course, because this is kind of a a, a a smoothie, a blend of all the other Disney themes, there is a lot in here, um, and and of course, uh, there are a lot of themes and uh, symbols that are that are already present in previous movies but it, I think it's still worthwhile to uh, to talk about them in this uh, in this episode now uh, there is one theme that is kind of new and that is specific to this uh, to this movie enchanted and that is uh, the the whole thing about marriage marriage and and, and fairy tales in general uh, Deborah what's your take on that well and, and that's um that's one of the things when, because I watched this movie. I have to confess, I watched it five times this weekend, trying to, you know, <laughs> trying to come up with. When I started, like, you know, getting distracted by the, you know, the references to other Disney movies, I'm like, no, 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 no. I need to just let the movie play and come up with my own ideas about what's going on. And what just recently, there's been a, a study done. Um, by the Pew Research Institute, and you know, take this with a grain of salt because all research is, you know, biased anyway. But about marriage, and and we have such a cynical attitude about marriage that they're finding that more and more people are not believing in the institute of marriage and choosing. I think forty percent of young adults now believe that marriage is obsolete. Huh. And at what point, you know, Disney movies have always had this, you know. They meet, they fall in love, and they get married like within a day's time, which is you know hammed up in this movie quite a bit because you know they make a point. You know, Giselle's like, you know, I've I've known him for a day, and tomorrow it'll be two, and you know, and, and <laughs> in our world, it's that's like really what, um, and they get and they're getting married, and and it comes down to in the real world, how long does it take? for marriage to, you know, for somebody to know it's right to get married and is it right at all? And I, I think the movie really encapsulates those two concepts of 
getting married right away or getting married at last. Well, and then, of course, also, what is true love? Is it you've got love at first sight, which is usually kind of the way it happens in fairy tales, and that is also sometimes what people imagine that love should be. It's like this: you're struck by lightning, and then of course you're made for each other, predestined, blah blah blah. And then you know, in your dreams, you you picture this uh, fairy tale wedding, just like the stuff that you see on TV. You know, uh, there. Uh, it's it's funny that if you see weddings portrayed on TV it's almost over the always over the top it kind of tries tries to recreate almost like a disney-esque atmosphere where everything has to be perfect you know we've got the these wedding planners that are just specialized in giving giving you the dream wedding but it's it, it has nothing to, the wedding itself is just the beginning and ultimately has not much to do with with love i mean the the what i like about this movie is that it actually brings nuance in this it it starts with this yeah we're we're of course we're we're predestined for each other. She's the princess. I'm the prince. Let's marry. Let's live long, happily ever after. And then you get into real world. Well, it's not like that. And Robert kind of the character of Robert uh, uh, embodies that because he's a divorce lawyer. So he knows that in his work he only meets uh, people whose marriage has not worked out and who broke up. And so he's become and he's a single parent. We don't really. Uh, hear what what happened, right? Well, or, we know that do, she left. She oh, left, okay. and that's all we hear about it because that's what she, you know, um, Giselle asks um, when they're on their date together. Yeah, you know, she asks what happened to Morgan's mother, and that's all that's said is that she left. And in her world, so, that is something that's incomprehensible. Yeah, that is like, huh? <laughs> that that cannot be. Um, but what I really like is the way that the story. Uh, that the the characters in the story gradually s- discover that true love is something else than just appearances, and that what you think at the beginning of the movie that, that the people that are you know predestined for each other that actually they don't end up together, and it's the you know Robert ends up ends up with Giselle and uh, Edward ends up with. Uh, what's her name? Nancy. Uh, Nancy. Yeah, yeah, Nancy. And so, and and in all these characters, there is kind of a transformation. There's an evolution, and they grow, and they learn, and they start to discover that, well, hmm, perhaps I need someone else. And and even Edward, being this very two dimensional guy, I think in the end realizes that, well, his true motivation, and that he um, thought he he loved Giselle. But actually, I think he was more uh, kind of playing a role. He, he, he thought that it, this is what he was supposed to do instead of asking himself, well, am I the right person? And, <laughs> and is this what Giselle needs or not? And so they all have to kind of step out of their little egocentric worldview of what I need. And, and they need to start to open up to the other person for real. And then you get some very interesting uh, combinations all of a sudden. The only person, of course, who does not understand true love is is the queen. Is uh, uh, what's her name? Uh, no, uh, queen Narissa. Narissa. Yeah. No, I was wondering if Narissa is that has it to do with narcissistic or something. It, it kind of evokes, it evokes someone who is completely self centered. Yeah. Well, and then she does have somebody who loves her, and that's Nathan, who who is her her um, henchman, if you would, who is. Oh, yeah. um, but and Nathan, only- we haven't talked about Nathan yet. Nathaniel, um, he's the you know the guy who's trying to poison Jeanette, Giselle 
because he's in love with the evil queen and the evil queen's like, take care of her, get rid of her for me. And then I'll, you know, you and I can be together. And so he does it out of love for the queen to go after uh, Giselle. But she is abusing that love or admiration. <laughs> I wonder yeah. if it's real love, but yeah. to, to just basically, yeah, use him as a slave. And he right. he only finds that out by watching television. Yeah, by watching the Beauty and the Beast little sequence soap opera that they had on there. That's right. <laughs> yeah, and then he he basically repents and he uh, he saves the day, or at least uh, he becomes uh, at least uh, the 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 guy who tells everyone else, well, she needs a real kiss, you know, <laughs> otherwise she'll die. And so he he finally sees the truth as well about the relationship that the, the queen doesn't really care about him. And that she's an instrument of evil, um, but in 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 that respect, I thought the the story of Enchanted is very modern. Some people I know that the, some of my friends dislike the movie because of that. They're like, "Well, this is not Disney. This this shouldn't be in a Disney movie." You know, a broken family and a single parent uh, uh, role well, mo- model. But that's the world that we live in, and movies Actually, and stories have always been kind of reflections of the world that we live in and the, and the situation. Otherwise, they wouldn't be relevant to us. Well, and your friends are wrong because Disney has a tradition of broken families. Let me let me illustrate. Oh, really? um, Snow White is in her mother died in childbirth, so she has a stepmother as well. Um, Cinderella, Lady Tremaine is is Cinderella's stepmother. Hmm. Um, um, the Little Mermaid, you never see, you know, Ariel's mother. Yeah, you only see her sisters and her father. Hmm. Um, let me. Uh, yeah, you're right. Try to think. You're right. They're broken. There, families. There's always. A tradition of of um, blended families, or or, or uh, I, I don't want to say broken families, but for some reason, there's always either an orphan or someone who is missing a parent. Which I and, think is is something that you find in almost every legend and myth. <laughs> a lot of the heroes originally come from a situation where they're orphans, or you know, have been abandoned by their parents, or given up for adoption, or something like that. Yeah. Well, and Pinocchio, you know, he's raised by a single father. You know, Geppetto isn't married. Yeah, but Chipetto didn't need a woman to create. Wait, <laughs> yeah, that, that was like, fairy, but... wasn't he a puppet? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Where am I missing a very important lesson in biology? <laughs> <laughs> but still, you know, the idea of parenting, you know, he became basically a foster parent yeah. for Pinocchio. Yeah, you're right. Well, I think that what, what some people uh, react against is that, well, there is talk of divorce, you know, as a divorce lawyer. and huh. But, well, anyway, I think it, it, otherwise it would have been... It wouldn't have worked. It's the contrast, I think, that makes this story so interesting. And, mm-hmm. and, and in the end, I think it is a story about true love and about, you know, what, what is love? What is a relationship really? Is it, it's, and it's more than this whole superficial visual thing. It's, uh, it goes much deeper. Yeah. Um, I think that this also has to do with another theme that is predominant in this movie, and that's this whole uh, contrast between... Uh, you know, the cynical attitude of Robert and then this ov- overly positive, bright side of the world vision of Giselle. Very ide- idealistic, whereas Robert is very cynical. Um, it's also a bit, you know, belief versus unbelief, uh, where, where, where Giselle uh, embodies faith and uh, Robert embodies skepticism. It's this, the same tension that you see in the X-Files and, 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 and a lot of other stories. Uh, and, but, I, and just a basic opposition between fairy tales and versus reality. You know, why is why is Disney World and Disneyland, why do people flock to those parks, especially now that the economy is down a drain? 
I think we all we 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 long for that. We we yeah. sometimes need to escape from reality, and and we use stories to um, to I think to foster hope ultimately. To, to tell ourselves that there is more than just a gritty reality and that we're made for something bigger and something more beautiful. I think that's the underlying desire that well, mo- Disney movies fulfill. Well, and I, I have to say that within this premise of optimism versus um, cynicalism, I think it lives in everyone that you know, like, for example, Christmas is coming up and everybody has these rosy, idealistic images of what Christmas is going to feel like when, you know, when the family's all together and, and, um, you know, looking at the tree as it's lit up and, and all that. But, and, and they try not to realize that the reality of the situation, which is long uh, hours of cooking in the kitchen and tired, cranky kids and, you know, maybe some bickering among relatives and, they, they're always looking for the rosy scenario. And I think that's, you know, embodied in both Giselle and Robert very well, which is Giselle is very rosy and, and Robert tries to keep her grounded like this isn't reality. Reality is this. Yeah. So He has lost a dream also a little bit. Yeah. And Giselle brings that back. Yeah. Well, it, and it comes – one of the things I noticed, and I noticed this because I'm also, um, you know, I, I'm, a, I'm a college professor too. Mm-hmm is that people love optimistic idealistic other people. Yeah. They even though they might say boy that person's annoying, in reality they want part of that magic. They want somebody around them who's always happy and 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 um praising and and loving. They don't want normally cynical people around them. They don't want you know people who are always kind of crushing their dreams around them. They would prefer yeah. Giselle over Robert. Well, that's usually why the bad guys in Disney movies don't have don't have friends because they're really degrading everybody and they you know, hatred doesn't generate love. And uh, the more you are positive yourself, the more people want to be around you. It's a, it's a very basic uh ingredient for 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 friendship. Um, and yeah, you're you're totally right. Cynicism doesn't get you many friends. The uh, the I think that uh, they actually the the reason that they um, they chose New York as the backdrop for this uh, for this story is probably because New Yorkers have this reputation for being very down to earth, cynical. Like, don't bother me. Is that, is that true? Or you know, I'm a European, so I don't know for sure. But I, no, I've heard it say said that it isn't true that New Yorkers are. Actually, very friendly and helpful, and all that. That's, that's I, my I, I, that's I my personal so experience. Yeah. And here in Florida, we get a lot of um, people from New York who move down here um, and retire to move down here to warmer weather. And I've found them very direct. I think cynicalism can be mistaken for directness. And right, you know, I have noticed that New Yorkers are very direct with and and uh, with their feelings and with what they want. And I think that can be mistaken for meanness or hostility. Yeah. I think they're very Dutch, actually. <laughs> After all, it was first called New Amsterdam. So it's a very That's Dutch mentality. <laughs> That's right. Very down to earth. But we're not cynical. Not at all. The, uh, well, yeah. And I, I got to also say, too, um, this is a different spin on this, too, is a generational um, issue, which is with every generation, there's a, there's a theme that goes along with that generation. Um, according to American standards, there's there's a, a theory about this that you know um, in the nineteen the the 
the um, baby boomers who were born in the 50s and the 60s, they have this theme of, of nonconformity. And then they raised my generation, which is, you know, the and we're the Gen Xers, Generation X. And our theme is cynicalism, is being cynical. And then the Gen Y or the new generation, they have, um, unfortunately, they had a, a worse title, which is they're narcissistic. Hmm. So, you know, with every generation, there's, there is a, I guess, a, a, a bad trait, in a sense, that goes along with it, or a good trait, depending on how you look at it, that I think Robert, who is part of my generation, a Gen Xer, represents that cynical side of Generation X, that why should I believe this? Yeah. Well, and, and I think that at the same time, despite those perhaps negative attributes of every generation, there is a pretty universal longing for uh, for optimism, for mm-hmm. for love, for and and I think that is why a lot of these Disney stories are, and you know, of course, the fairy tales on which they're based are timeless because they they I think that they transcend these generational differences and they are part of a longing that is in every human being right from the from the start of humanity probably, and it's this longing to be loved and to be in harmony with the people and the world around you. And talking about harmony, that's another uh, big theme, I think, in uh, in this movie and in a, a lot of other Disney movies. It's this um, uh, the the original harmony between man and the nature around them. Uh, in this movie, th- that is, I think, uh, symbolized in in the first in the animated sequence. You know, you've got the animals working together with Giselle. She only has to sing that da da, and <laughs> all the animals come together to clean up the house and to, uh, you know, help her create that uh, virtual prince or whatnot. Um, and then when she gets to New York, there seems to be a big divide between men and animals because you know the animals that you find in New York rats and cockroaches and that sort of and pigeons like flying rats um there is there is hostility between them and and Giselle Re-establishes the the original harmony in the happy working sequence, and she she expects you know little cute rabbits to show up to help her, and then then she she gets all these creepy critters and and rats, but they still help her. So she brings those two worlds together again. She re she, she brings back harmony, and I think that's a. That is more than a superficial theme. I think it's very, very uh, interesting. Even, um, I dare to say that this uh, this this has biblical roots. It, it it has to do with these old stories that we find in in the first books of the Bible of this this disharmony that is introduced in the world after the fall, after this the the first sin of Adam and Eve, and then you know you get this rivalry between. The, let's say the 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 serpent, the snake, and uh, and the woman, you know, and you get this whole. Uh, th- 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 there is kind of something breaks in the in the original harmony of of creation, and then there is in a lot of the biblical stories also a promise that sometime in the future, and we don't know when that's going to be, this harmony will be restored. And there's there are these apocalyptic uh, stories, or you know these these visions of the future in the prophets where the lion is you know sits next to the lamb and a, a child puts the hand in the nest of a viper etc and so there is this longing for a reintegration of these two worlds of the animal world and the human world so i thought it was interesting that they um they also portrayed that in this movie 
And then you've got all the, the other classic fairy tale stuff. You know, you've got the virtues and the vices. You've got the black and white. And what I like about this movie, it also has a lot of gray. So you've got, well, let's say white, uh, literally, Giselle's dress. She is the embodiment of of all the virtues. She's optimistic. She she has a ter- terrific singing voice. She is uh, she loves to clean, uh, and cleanliness is ne- near to, to godliness. She 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 she's she has a certain uh, simplicity, and then on the other side, you've got the the, the queen, uh, Nara Nara. I forget her name again. Narissa. Uh, Narissa. <laughs> she's narcissistic. She is egotistic. She is jealous. She wants to take revenge. She hates. She's power greedy. But what I really like is that there is also an evolution in the characters. They don't stay uh, one-dimensional. Uh, Giselle starts to become less naive. She learns a lot. Robert becomes less cynical, starts to believe a little bit more. Uh, even Nathaniel uh, starts as a servant or slave of Queen Nerissa, rebels, repents. Um, Edward is flawed. He's the one that kind of stays one-dimensional for most of the time. And then only at the end, he kind of opens up. And uh, the only person that really stays evil is Nerissa. And then, of course, the result is uh, is predictable. Um, she self-destructs, basically. Mm-hmm. And then the, that evil uh, is depicted in a lot of traditional, uh, traditional imagery, especially when it uh, uh, concerns Nerissa. She starts off as an evil queen, beautiful on the outside, but uh, already pretty dark on the inside. That darkness... Trans, starts to translate in when she turns into this old hag, uh, looks ugly and is both ugly on the outside and on the inside. And then it culminates in the transformation into the dragon, uh, the symbol of violence, destruction. Um, yep. I think it's kind of the, the classic degradation that evil causes. Uh, from beauty, you turn into a beast, literally here. And, and like in almost most of the Disney animated movies, the villain falls to her death. Absolutely, absolutely. The the Woolworth building uh, in the final conflict, <laughs> I think, is kind of the modern day version of the castle in um, Cinderella. Or you know, uh, there are some other movies with dragons and castles, but <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yes. Also reminded me of uh, the dragon on the top of the building. It reminded me of King Kong. You know, on top yes. of the Empire State Building. Oh, yeah, uh, and taking place in New York as it does. And all sure. these these dragons, all these monsters, uh, even Godzilla, they kind of have this tendency to climb into these big buildings, be it a, a skyscraper or a, or a castle, which in a way is also symbolic for their for their sin, for their evil. It, it's pride. You want to rule. You want to be on top of everything. You want to be above everything else. And then, of course, that attempt always results in a dramatic fall because, you know, right. you can only be great if you are, if you want to serve, if you become a servant. And in a way, in that respect, Giselle is also almost, there's a little bit of the biblical character of a servant in there. She is great because she serves. She's there to help. She wants to help everyone, and that is why she's admired, and that's why people want to be in her presence. Whereas the, you know, uh, Prince Edward, it's all about him, and so people are like, Ugh, "We don't want we we don't want to be with you. You're you're really <laughs> disgusting because it, it's all about you, 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 you." Yeah. So, well, and I, I think I, that. I, oh, go ahead, Mike. 
I was just going to say I thought it was an interesting departure in this movie that uh, it's not Giselle who has to be rescued, but it's the prince, and and it's Giselle who's the one that's going after the after the dragon with the sword. You know? True, yeah, <laughs> she climbs on top of the roof, <laughs> and and ultimately even catches Robert uh, and uh, prevent him from falling off the roof. So it's a, it's a, a true role reversal. The the princess yeah. saves the prince in this case. Yeah. Uh, and well, another, I said, yeah, I said Prince, but I, I meant Robert. You know? Yes, of course. Yeah. He saves the lawyer. Well, <laughs> Robert, Robert is the true prince of the story. He's the true prince, and the other one is well, he's a prince in two D, but as soon as he's in the three D world, he's not so much of a prince. Um, and then, of course, there's a final uh, theme um, that I want to mention here, and that is the kind of the David versus Goliath uh, story. Uh, and in this case, I think it's in the end, it's the chipmunk Pip versus the dragon. <laughs> And isn't it the doesn't the dragon falls ultimately because of Pip because he yeah because yes. Pip's little tiny weight although it, it it makes a difference one little person yeah. can make a difference that's that's beautiful I think that's very highly symbolic and it, it also happened with the troll too uh, in the animated sequence uh, Chip the same thing happened with Chip and the troll so greatness greatness is actually you can you you. The smaller you are, the greater you can be. If you're a true yeah. hero, um, that, that I think that's a that's a beautiful theme. Well, I think that wraps it up for uh, this uh, in-depth treatment of Enchanted. Um, I would say I highly, highly recommend uh, this this movie. Uh, rewatching it several times, as we mentioned, to, to, to in order for you to catch all the references to previous Disney movies. And it is a movie that that despite its uh, kind of fluffy nature and all the happy songs, has a lot of depth in its symbolism. So, Mike and Deborah, thank you so much for joining me on uh, today's episode of The Secrets of Disney. We should do this again, don't you think? Yeah, I think we should do this again. <laughs> <laughs> so stay I'll tuned. I'll be around when, when you need me. <laughs> Absolutely. We'll call you when we need you. Um <laughs> No, uh, it was a great pleasure to have you on the show, especially with all your knowledge of uh, the Disney legacy. Thanks to our listeners for uh, for listening to this whole show. If you want to send us feedback, you can send it to Disney at sqpn.com. And if you go to the website of the StarQuest Production Network, and that would be sqpn.com, you can find previous episodes and future episodes of this show, as well as many other uh, podcast series that you might want to try out if you enjoyed this one i'm pretty sure that you will enjoy a lot of the other stuff that we do over there so go to sqpn.com thanks for listening thanks for uh, being on the show uh deb and mike and see you next time and until then god bless <laughs>